Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Weston, shortly after we get done taping this show, we've got to head to the airport and catch a plane for Winnipeg. We're off to Canada. (laughs) You don't say that one every day. Yeah, I don't know if we'll ever say it again. (laughs) But... uh, Packers' third preseason game against the Oakland Raiders at the Winnipeg Blue Bombers football stadium, yep. right? Investors this, Group Field. Yeah, I IG, IG Field. Um, a CFL, <clears throat> excuse me, CFL field for the Blue Bombers. But uh, real quickly here, as we get rolling, preseason game number three, it's not really quite the same as preseason games number three of the past. Aaron Rodgers still TBD as to whether or not he will play and play at all in this preseason. But who do you have your eye on heading into this one? You know what is funny? Before we even get into that, back in the day, I know, again, you're a big Madden player. I was, too. Uh, When you would simulate the franchise mode, the third preseason game, I think they always had the starters playing three quarters in that game. John even talked about it when we did our Three Things video on Tuesday about how you know the game has changed in that regard. So while it isn't the three or the third preseason game of the past, it's the third preseason game we have now. Yep. So you're going to get a chance for probably a series or two to see the starters one last time. Now whether or not Aaron Rodgers is on the field, that's still up in the air. But you're going to see the starting offensive line. You're going to see Mike Pettin's defense there again. So when I talk about and when I look at who is my player to watch, I've said it on three different videos in an insider inbox, it's Aaron Jones. Because I just look at where the Packers' run game has been at. I I put this line in inbox for Thursday. The narrative right now is that it's been off to a slow start on the ground. Aaron Jones can flip that on its head with one run. Yeah, He's that talented. He's that explosive. And, Mike, we have wasted so much breath and energy and words talking about him and Jamal Williams and Matt LaFleur's offense. I'm excited to almost be at a point that we can finally see it. Because I think it's going to be dynamic, and assuming, I don't know if it'll be this Thursday, but if they can get Danny Vitale back in this next week and the, the compliment that these guys offer each other in terms of pass catchers, in terms of uh, pass protection, we saw Aaron Jones, some of the strides he's made in pass pro yeah. this camp. It's yeah. not just about the explosive gains out of the backfield. It's how those players can be utilized in the entire construct of the offense that's what I'm excited to see, and we're probably going to see it for a series with Aaron Jones up in Canada. Yeah, Matt LaFleur did confirm that Jones would play a series or two, emphasizing that treating him a little bit differently in his thought process than Aaron Rodgers in that when there isn't contact through the spring, there isn't full contact in training camp, a running back, the whole ball security thing, you just need to get hit a couple of times yeah. you know, before you get into a, a game that counts and, and take that first real hit and that first real tackle. But I also want to talk about a couple of other guys who uh, are slated anyway, as far as we know, to make their preseason debuts for this year. One of them is second-year cornerback Josh Jackson, the second-round pick from last year out of Iowa. Now, we've spent a lot of time, obviously, talking about the cornerback position. Kevin King's still sidelined with a hamstring injury. We've seen Tony Brown step up and do some things. We've seen Kadar Holman as well, but now Holman is out with a stinger and most likely not playing this week. Josh Jackson has been brought back kind of slowly, I guess you might say, from the foot injury that sidelined him the first couple weeks of training camp. But he has been in 11-on-11. He actually was in 
some 11 on 11 as a nickelback with the ones for a few snaps in practice this week. So that is a sign that he's going to get in there and uh, and show what he can do. And and frankly, he's kind of been a little bit of a forgotten guy in this yeah. in this cornerback competition because we've seen so much of those other guys and then he was out with that foot injury and just now trying to get back into things. The timing was unfortunate for a second-year player. Now, it's never a good time to miss practice or yeah. miss training camps, but that first few weeks, Mike, that's when you're installing the defense for the second time. They do it the first time during the offseason program and OTAs and minicamp, but that second time is starting to be your, your final run-through, so to speak, before you start scheming. And for him to miss that, certainly there are the mental reps and there are those type of things that you can draw from, but let's be honest, I think one of the reasons why Tony Brown has come on the way he has and Kadar Holman has come on in the shape that he has is because they've been taking those first-team reps. They've been in there with Adrian Amos, with Darnell Savage since he's returned, with Tremont Williams. Those key veteran uh, communicators in Amos and Williams' standpoint yeah. that are going to be critical for those nickel and dime packages. Jackson has gotten back on the field. He has reacclimated himself to uh, those team drills. The only thing missing at this point is getting back in the regular season game. I think you and I both probably, you know, don't even really think about it, but Josh Jackson started 10 games for this team last year. <laughs> uh, he played, played a, lot a lot of ball. They need him, as I, well, you and I have said this countless times, especially if Kevin King is dealing with this hamstring issue right now, they need Josh Jackson to be a second-round pick that steps up and plays well. And this is going to be a really good litmus test for him, assuming he's out on the field on Thursday night to start building that confidence back up and showing he can be a rotational part of this defense. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it before, Wes. In this day and age in the NFL, as you're constructing the 53-man roster, you want to have a solid half-dozen cornerbacks yeah. that a defensive coordinator, that a position coach feels confident in that they can step in and play because there are a lot of times you're going to have four cornerbacks on the field and it doesn't take much from an injury standpoint before you're tapping into number five and number six to be able to to keep your full complement of defensive packages and be able to call what you want to call yep. uh, for given game situations. So all of these guys, whether you're talking about King and Holman getting back from their injuries or Jackson getting into some preseason action and what Tony Brown has done alongside Jair Alexander, all of the all of these guys are going to have a place in Mike Pettin's defense. I, I just don't see any other way around it. No, they definitely will. And, and we talk so much about the corners, and rightfully so, but it does go into the safety position as well because right now Will Redmond is a kind of a hybrid between a corner and a safety. Natrell Jamerson plays both spots. Yes. Jandon Sullivan has gotten a lot of reps as, a, as an outside perimeter corner. This is going to be critical timing for them too because maybe you're keeping one of those guys uh, when it shuffles down to it because mm -hmm. who's going to be that sixth, fifth, you know, cornerback or fourth, you know, safety or, or a guy that could play both spots and be a special teamer? There are so many question marks still to be answered there because, as you just said, a year ago at this time, Mike. I didn't know who Tony Brown was. Yeah. Tony Brown wasn't on this roster, and then he starts four games for this defense in the secondary, plays in 11 contests for the Packers. So these are all the type of things and variables that you have to take into account when you're heading into a season. Not just Jair Alexander and Tremont Williams and who's going to be your front line, yeah. but who are going to be those guys that you're going to be developing and counting on should an injury arise midseason. Yeah, no question about it. Well, another guy who's going to be making his preseason debut for 2019 – more of a veteran player, fourth-year receiver Trevor Davis. And we've talked a little bit about him in that through the spring and the opening part of training camp, 
I thought he was off to a fantastic start. He was putting the hamstring trouble and everything that derailed his 2018 season behind him. But then that first joint practice with the Houston Texans, he took what quite honestly was an unnecessary hit in a special teams drill, gave him a stinger. Um, now he feels like he's fighting this injury-prone label, which I don't think is necessarily fair given that he was pretty healthy his first two years. Yes, 2018 was a lost season to injury. And what happened, the thing with the Texans was just a freak yeah. accident. It wasn't anything where he's not taking care of his body and whatnot. But regardless... In his absence, he misses about two weeks' worth of training camp. We've seen Darius Shepard, Alan Lazard raise their profiles yeah. in this receiver competition. Trevor Davis gets back on the practice field Sunday. On Monday, I thought he really, really shined in practice. He was taking the ball on end around. He was taking shovel passes. He ran a deep route, made a great yep. catch on a deep ball from Tim Boyle, showing all the different facets in which he can be involved in this offense and, and the plan um, that the Packers seem to be revealing in the spring for how they wanted to use him. But this competition is pretty stiff. It and is. he doesn't have any in-game preseason snaps on film yet. This is his opportunity to do that. And uh, as I've written about on our website in a story here on Davis um, heading into this game, he's ready to state his case, and he has to do it now. Yeah, the one tragedy, I think, with Trevor Davis, and this is not a dig on Mike McCarthy or Tom Clements or anybody, you almost kind of wish he would come into the league now with Matt LaFleur uh, <laughs> than he did four years ago. And the reason I say that uh, is because it just seems like out of anyone maybe on the offensive side of the ball, this offense is probably tailored to his skill set enough with the motioning, with the misdirection, the bunch formations. He's not a traditional slot receiver. He actually plays a lot on the perimeter. So there's different ways that you can use him off screens of that nature. I just think that this offseason, going back to – we were talking about this during OTAs. Yeah. It just seems like he's so much more comfortable with what he's being asked to do right now. And it was it was really tragic that the situation happened, that he got hurt when he did, because he was off to a great start. Oh, I, thought, and, I thought he was playing tremendous football in practice. And the other dimension that you have to keep in mind when you think about Trevor Davis and you start to figure out your 53 and your depth chart – Davis is a kickoff returner, he's a punt returner, and he's a receiver. But as I talked to him about his locker, he's also arguably their best gunner on punt coverage. He's a guy who plays the front line on kickoff coverage. Yep. His body type, when he's healthy, lends itself to a core four player. Yep. Um, that's going to go a long way. And the thing that Davis needs to do now is he needs to make some of those catches in the preseason that we've seen in practice. He needs to maybe pop a big return, kind of like Shepard did with the 36-yarder in Baltimore, and show that I can be a complete player and I can be someone that pushes not only for a spot on the 46 to be a special teamer, but also a guy that can be counted on in the receiver rotation. Davis has shown everything you wanted to see from a young guy. He just needs to do it in a game now. Yeah, I, I want to pass along kind of a moment of enlightenment for me from the conversation that Davis had at his locker with reporters this week because he was talking about the deep ball he caught from Tim Boyle where the ball was a little bit yeah, underthrown, right. so he had to slow up, and a couple of defenders are converging. He waited until the last possible second, and he put his hands out, and he kept his hands down low yes. and let the ball fall into them. Now, that's a technique that we've talked about before. It's called late hands. If you, As a receiver, if you put your hands out too early, you're just giving the defender a chance. You're telling him the timing yes. and giving him a chance to get his hands in the way and deflect the ball. So that's a technique that receivers use a lot. What I didn't realize is that Davis actually developed that, tech, that technique 
as a punt returner yeah. <clears throat> because he says he needs to use late hands as a punt returner because he doesn't want to give the gunners who are coming to try to lay him out the uh, the timing of when the ball is actually going to arrive because right. they're reading that as well. So he's waiting for the ball to come down and then the hands come out at the last second. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm losing my voice a little bit here. Too but much I found excitement. That I found that somewhat fascinating in a way. I hadn't even thought no. of that, that whole late hands technique being used as a return man on special teams because, you know, that's one of the most fearless jobs out there yeah. on the field is, is punt returner. And he, he kind of joked about it, about, you know, not wanting those gunners to, to smack him around. But it's the reality of what he has to face, and he's developed that technique, and he uses it both as a receiver and a return man. That was the fun part of that conversation was that, you hear Devontae Adams talk about it all the time, and that's a technique situation. That's to be able to execute a play, to catch a pass. Trevor Davis is using that to keep gunners from laying him out, as you said. I mean, yeah. that's a survival instinct. So think about how you can incorporate that into the passing game when it's more, I don't want to call it a benefit or extra credit, but it's a technique that you can use to have a successful offensive play rather than just protecting yourself from a potential hit. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to ask you, too, because someone asked me in inbox, you know, last year we talked so much about Geronimo Allison's uh, catch from Aaron Rodgers, the no-look pass. Somebody put me on the spot and asked, what do you think is that, maybe not that type of play, but what, what sticks with you the most when you think about, you know, the big play of this year's camp? I'm definitely going to be a victim of recency bias here, but the, the boil to Davis catch is up there. I don't know if it's a yeah. D1, but when you take into account the double coverage, the technique he had to use to pull that in, and then also the presence of mind to catch the ball, you see guys tie together three or four of those elements, but then they don't bring in the football. You just move on to the next play, and everyone kind of forgets yeah. about it. Davis completed the catch. He did that after coming back from the stinger. Honestly, those are the type of things that I think the coaching staff, I don't want to speak for them, but you want to see from a guy that's been out for two weeks and you know maybe you want to prove that what he did the first week or so wasn't a fluke. Yeah, I mean, Matt LaFleur called Monday's practice for Trevor Davis very encouraging yeah. was the word that he used and then, and then flat out said, I'm excited to see what he's going to do in a game. Well, here we are, this game coming up against the Raiders. Absolutely. A couple other things here with this third preseason game, Wes. I think we're going to finally get to the end of this competition at left guard between Lane Taylor and rookie second-round pick Elton Jenkins. I think you and I both know, having been on the beat, we know how to watch practice, that when the Packers return to the practice field on Sunday, the first snap that the number one offensive line is on the field I think that's going to tell us who won the competition because we're heading into the fourth week of the preseason and we know the preseason playing time in the game against the Chiefs will be very different. So I think the competition ends with this Raiders game. So far, Lane Taylor for the vast majority of the time has been the first has taken the first reps at left guard. But there's been no winner declared in this competition yet. So do you see that the same way in that this is sort of where the competition ends and the decision is going to be made over the weekend? I would traditionally agree with you on that. This year I'm going to disagree with you. Okay. Only because of what happened last year, which is where Justin McCray started at right guard because Brian Balaga was coming back from the ACL. They wanted Balaga to have those reps, so they played in that last game against the Chiefs. I forgot about that. So You're I right. think it's possible, based on how they've divvied up those reps in the snaps that Taylor has taken with the twos at times, I think it's entirely possible. And the fact that he actually started the first game against Houston when none of the other starting offensive line played, Right. I think it is possible that it leaks into next week. That being said, 
I would be very curious if it still ends up being Taylor, but if they play a second series, then you see Jenkins comes in. Yeah. Uh, I, I could see that being a, a situation. But to your original point, the underlying message there, I do believe you kind of have to figure out which way you want to go with this thing, though. Yeah. It's great that Jenkins is getting those snaps, but you know, Lane Taylor now, uh, it, you know, when you look at what he's brought to that position, the comfort level he's had with David Bakhtiari, two guys that came into the league together in 2013. Jenkins is a young guy. He's very athletic. But Taylor also gives you some of those intangibles that you look for when you talk about solidifying your offensive line. The encouraging thing for me with Jenkins is I thought he shined throughout the preseason, whether it's been at the guard position, whether it's been rotating in at center. He did have a couple holding calls last week, one of which, one of one, one of which Matt LaFleur said wasn't even on him. It was you know on a different yeah. player. I just I'm really encouraged by it. I guess we're gonna have to wait and see. It will tell you something though, if it is obviously still Lane Taylor going out there first on Thursday night, he's still the incumbent, right? Yeah. The burden of proof is on Jenkins to show that he's worthy of being a starter right off the bat. Yeah. And as we know, the competition at backup quarterback between Deshaun Kaiser, Tim Boyle, Manny Wilkins, the number four right now, that will be continuing. Uh, certainly through um, these last two preseason games, not just the Raiders game, but where do you see this competition right now? I see it all neck and neck. Yeah, I think I think it obviously is Kaiser and Boyle. There's just so much more experience there with those two guys. Uh, and certainly Kaiser got off to kind of a slow start last week, but then kind of rallied the troops a little bit. Uh, I, I think Boyle, the, the thing about Boyle, watching him play so far throughout this preseason is he has moments of just – you know, sheer and utter excellence. I mean, downfield passes that are on the money, big play potential that every NFL team covets in a quarterback. He needs to string it together, though. He needs to yeah. be able to do that on a more consistent basis, and he'll be the first one to tell you that. Uh, from Kaiser's perspective, I think it's being able to immerse himself in this scheme, play within the scheme, but still be Deshaun Kaiser, be the guy that was a second-round pick, be the guy that does have natural instincts to make a play, this is going to be such an important game because we don't know whether or not Aaron Rodgers goes. If he doesn't go, Kaiser's probably going to be out there with the ones again. Yep. What can you do with that opportunity to prove that, you know what, I can run this offense, I can be there with Devontae Adams? Adams said it this week. When Rodgers isn't on the field, their goal is to make sure it's as if he's never left, that they can still run with the same amount of efficiency. That's the task for Kaiser. And then behind him, whenever Boyle comes into that game, proving that he has what it takes to potentially be a number two. Yeah. Well, before I forget here, Wes, I do need to take care of some sponsor business. Select Cousin Subs locations are now are now offering delivery. Whether you're ordering, catering, or your favorite sub, they're delivering right to you when you order online at CousinSubs.com. Cousin Subs, we believe in better. Okay. One other topic I want to get to here before we go and uh, head off to the airport, Wes. The first preseason game against the Houston Texans, defensive coordinator Mike Pettin was on the sidelines. Now, I will admit, I thought, oh, okay, it's just a preseason thing. He's just doing it for the month of August, and he'll be back up in the coach's booth for the regular season games. But I was mistaken. That is not the case. Mike Pettin has decided that the sideline is where he is going to be in 2019, and he spoke to reporters and explained some of his thought process, some of his reasons behind 
making the switch kind of an interesting uh um you know view into his mind and his thought process well first off i'm going to give you a little bit of a hint if you're a young beat writer coming into green bay the easiest way to break news without actually doing anything is to read the dope sheet <laughs> on whatever day it comes out the, the packers informational guide packers have actually listed Petten on the sidelines since the beginning of camp uh, i didn't actually put that out there right away because it was like well what is that worth but you're right. It wasn't for preseason. It's something he's planning to do moving forward. Yeah. And it's funny. It actually, a part of it kind of has to do with Lambeau Field in a way. Yeah. He mentioned it. You know, Rob Domofsky, when we were together at the Green Bay Press Gazette, wrote a really nice story talking to Joe Philbin and Dom Capers and some of the coaches that were up in the press box, the coaches box, about how difficult it is getting down to the field. And it's like that in a lot of NFL stadiums. But as Petten illustrated, you leave at the end of the half. They have an elevator ready for you. You go down the elevator. Then you get to the catwalk. They have golf carts there to take the coaches. Probably about, what, 100 yards or so? 125 it might yards? Even be, it might even be close to 200 yards. Sure. Yeah. Let's go with that. <laughs> it, you drive down that way, going as fast as a golf cart can go. Then you get over to the other elevator. You take that elevator down two stairs, and now you're in the lobby. You go across the lobby, across the tunnel. You walk down another however many feet to the locker room. Then you're there. You're there for five, ten minutes, and then you got to get back upstairs. It's definitely not ten minutes because halftime is only twelve minutes right. long. So uh, unless you leave the press box early before the clock actually hits zero, and and that was the whole point yes. is that he didn't feel like he had enough time with the players in the locker room at halftime just because of the transportation part of it. To make a couple final adjustments, as yeah. he said, and also to hear the coach's message, what Lant Floor or Mike McCarthy was saying, and, and making sure that he understands what they need out of him in his defense in that second half. So he's going to be down on the field. He said he's actually worked with some guys. I don't know who they are offhand. They are in the dope sheet. That will be sort of his eye in the sky this season. He feels like he can get the best of both worlds. And he mentioned that he he kind of felt last year he was able to train some of yes, the de other exactly. defensive assistants who were up in the box with him as far as the information that he covets, what he wants, what he wants to know. And now that he has those coaches looking for that and tracking that information for him, they can relay that to him down on the sideline. That's what he wants, and so he feels like he, he you know, gets the best of both worlds is the way he put it. And lastly, just being able to actually go talk to the players in between series, sit down with guys, move around to different position groups, the interpersonal communication, there's a benefit to it. Petten feels like it'll help his defense go to the next level. And again, we're going to see how it all plays out. Yeah, we'll, we will definitely see. Well, with that, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. We got a plane to catch on Twitter. He's at Wes Hot. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Be sure to subscribe to us, like us on iTunes and other podcast services. Follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.